So uh, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you do that, um, I'd like to pose a thought to you. Um, I've been thinking, I think a lot about uh, what it feels like, the experience um, to being a Christian today in the 21st century. What does it feel like? in our day-to-day lives to be a Christian in the 21st century. And then I've been, I reflect a lot on what I feel like is a gap, a gap between what I believe as a Christian, what I believe as a Christian, and what I experience in my day-to-day life. Uh, there seems to be somewhat of a gap between what I go through in my day-to-day life and what I believe as a Christian. And so, um, let me put it to you this way. I'm going to put it, in, try, and, try and see if, if, you've, if you've felt this before. How many of you have ever felt like a fool? How many of you felt like a fool for being a Christian? I know I have. I remember, like I said, I remember when I was in college in New York City, went to school in New York City, so there's just, just a, lo- a big city, and I had moved from Colorado, and I, and I remember I was talking with a student at New York University, which is a big premier you know, research university, and we were talking about Christianity, and he was, uh, he was studying sociology, and he was talking about how Christianity was just a product of the culture, and that all religions are just product of culture, and you can't say that it's actually true, it's just, this is how the world has developed about religion, and even though I disagreed with him, I kind of felt like a fool for doing so, because here's this person who has this huge research university backing him up, and a whole city, a cosmopolitan city that's, you know, kind of reinforcing what he believes, and here I am just kind of like, ugh, I feel like a fool for believing what I believe. I felt unwise, and again, there's this, like I said, there's a gap between what I experienced and what I believed, or how many of you have ever felt truly have felt dirty, Um, not just physically dirty, but emotionally or even spiritually dirty. Um, To your deepest core, you are unworthy or guilty or condemnable. I remember one of the more poignant times of this when I was growing up, um, this is terrible, but my my friend and I uh, were just boys, you know, we were elementary age boys and so we we figured out how to lock our dog into the backyard and then um, we ran around with wiffle ball bats just wiffle ball bats but still wiffle ball bats and beat our dog just for the fun of it and and, and then I remember afterwards just feeling horrible like what have I done who am I that I would do this sort of thing and just feeling wretched and there's this gap between what I believed and what I was experiencing after I had just really messed up. How many of you, maybe again, how many of you have had this addiction that you can't kick? This habit that you find yourself in that just, you can't stop it. Maybe it's, you just can't stop going to certain websites. You try and you just can't stop. Or maybe this kick of just putting in one more hour of work. If I just work a little bit more, maybe. I know that even it's pulling me apart from my family and it's hard on my marriage. But there's this addiction that you just can't stop doing. Again, this gap between what I believe and what I experience. Or how many of you have been truly oppressed? Truly oppressed, maybe emotionally, maybe physically, maybe socially. Pick it, pick however it is. Maybe you're oppressed by your boss who just treats you cruelly. Or maybe it's by an unjust professor or a cruel parent or an abusive sibling. 
government, unjust laws, whatever it is, you believe this about your faith in your life, and yet in your day-to-day life, you feel just the weight of the oppressive world of sin that we live in. I, I think that what I, if I've described four scenarios that you probably have found yourself in at least one of those, probably in more. And so what I'm trying to peel back is that I think for many of us there is this gap, this distance between what we experience in our daily life and what we believe as Christians. We experience one thing yet day in and day out. We believe one thing, yet day in and day out we experience the opposite. We see the wisdom of the world, or what it seems like the wisdom of the world, or our own guilt of our own sin, or the power of sin in our lives that we can't change, or just the oppression of living in a broken world. Well, if you've ever felt that way, and I know you have if you're honest, then this text today is for you. Because today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the miracle of the gospel, delve into it specifically in our union with Christ, and then explore in four word pictures that the Apostle Paul gives us that show us, that tease out, that fill out our union with Christ in the daily needs that you and I have. So union with Christ, this is the core of the gospel. This is, this is the, the, what I'll call it the spiritual food that we need to feed on every day so that when life hits us, this is where we run to for our healing. This is where we run to when there's that gap. So today, I encourage you, no matter how you're coming in, if you're beat up, if you're not sure what you believe about Christianity, join us as we meditate on what's happening in this text and how it speaks to the real life that we live in. So um, if you would, while you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read our text. It's been read already, but I'm going to read it and then, uh, and then we'll see what the, it says. So uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. And this is God's word. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is God's word. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, thank you that we have the the luxury and the privilege to come into your presence today to join our brothers and sisters of different languages and traditions and families um, around the world and even here today and to sing your praise, to receive the graces here and to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit now, that you would separate the words of my mouth apart and that you would use them in your people to make us more like Jesus, to encourage us and to send us out as your emissaries to a world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing I would like us to think about, meditate on today, is the miracle of union with Christ. The miracle of union with Christ. And so uh, to, I'm gonna give a, I want to give a quick overview on what union with Christ is. And to do that, I'm going to zero in on particularly on verse 30. So if you, have, if you have your Bible, look down with me at verse 30. And it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. 
Because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Now, who is the him that Paul is talking about here? Who is the him? Well, from verse 29 and from other parts of this, from the context, we can see here that the him that is talking about is God. And it's specifically talking about God the Father. It's talking about God the Father. So another way that we could read this, if we were to read it in that light, it says, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means that out from God, or sourced in God, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, we need to pause there and reflect because there is, this is, behind these words is one of the most major and fundamental doctrines of Christianity. And it is this. It is that salvation comes exclusively from God. Salvation comes exclusively from God. God is the source. God is the first actor. God is the agent in our salvation. Because of God means that it is not based on your effort. Not based on anything that you bring to the table. It's not because of any other even heavenly being. It's that God initiates salvation. Behind those words, and because of him, is a whole plan that God has been weaving together before history began for the salvation of his people and even of you. Ephesians 1 tells us that Paul tells us the same thing that, that he, that is God, chose us when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, that God chose us to be in Christ. And so the main sentence here that we see, the main clause, if you look at this grammatically, it says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, both this and Ephesians 1 and all throughout the New Testament, we see these words, in Christ. And these words, is in Christ, these are incredibly dense and important words theologically for us to understand because in Christ this means that because of God's exclusive and sovereign work we are engrafted into Christ we are engrafted into Christ and Romans 6 tells us much the same it says that through our baptism we are united to Christ in his death and then united to Christ in his resurrection and what's the result of that? What's the result of our being united with Christ? It's that the benefits that are Christ's become ours. The benefits that are Christ's become ours. That means that what is Christ becomes ours. Jesus, the Son of God who deserves every honor and every, every piece of blessing in the universe. We receive those in our union with Christ. That's what verse 30 tells us. It says that God in his mercy chose us. All, it was only God. Only God chose us to be in Christ. United to Christ inseparably and indelibly. So that what is Christ becomes ours. Now that's, that's really abstract. And that can feel sort of removed. You're kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. That feels so, so far away from what I'm living. So to try and break it down, I want to try, I'll say it this way. When I was in college, um, I went to a small school in, uh, in New York City, like I said, and the school didn't have a lot to boast about. We didn't have a lot going on. It was a really small school, and, um, but we had one thing that was kind of cool, and this was this. The school was in the, empire of the, uh, was in the basement of the Empire State Building. 
kind of cool, right? So uh, we would go to school in the Empire State Building, um, and uh, one of the cool things is, you know, we'd have friends who would want to, would want to, you know, they'd come to visit me, and they'd want to go up to the observation deck of the Empire State Building. You know, it's a big, tall building. You can see New York City. It's a famous building, and so, uh, but, but when they would come, you know, often would be in tourist season, and so the line to get into the observation deck was was really long. It would stretch down the block and then often down the other block, and it, so it could be like a long two or three hour line, and if you only had a day or so to be in New York City, you didn't want to stand in line for three hours. Here's the trick. Because I went to school in the Empire State Building, I had the tenant pass. I could skip all those lines. Not only could I skip all those lines, I could get half price tickets. But it wasn't just me. It was anybody who was with me also could skip the lines. We could just flash the badge and skip all the lines and then flash the badge again and get half price tickets. My friends were able to do things that they would not ordinarily been able to do. And it wasn't because of anything in them, right? It was because of their union with Jonathan (laughs) that they were able to skip lines and get half-price tickets. Now, that's just union with Jonathan to go to the Empire State Building. That's not that big a deal, right? Imagine that if you are united with the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. This is on an infinitely grander scale. So, you, I mean, this is, this, is what, this is what Paul is saying, that we are united with the second person of the Trinity, with God himself. That's the miracle of union with Christ. So that what are Christ's benefits, they become ours. This is the, that's why I say this is the daily bread, the, the spiritual the meal that we have to feed our, our bodies on. Just like your body needs a balanced diet of nutrition every day, your soul needs this union with Christ every day. This in Christ, this in Him language is what feeds our soul. We have to meditate it on every day. And in fact, this in Christ language, it may, be, it may be the most theologically dense two words in the entire Bible, that we are united with Christ, that we are in Christ. So I encourage you, as you read your Bible, corporately as the body of God or, or personally, you'll see it all over the place. You'll see in Him, in Christ. Pause there. Stop. Think about it again. Oh my goodness. I've been brought into union with God himself by nothing that I do, by nothing that I bring into this, but only because of God's mercy I am brought into union with Christ. Meditate on it anew, just like you feed your body, feed your soul with this. But this isn't all that Paul gives us, right? He doesn't just give us this union with Christ language. He fleshes it out. He gives us more to hang our hat on, in a sense, to give us something to look, to look for. And he gives us four pictures, four word pictures of union with Christ and what the benefits are that we receive. So let me look at it again. Look at verse 30. What does it say? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now pay attention. Who became to us wisdom from God. Wisdom from God. 
Now these word pictures, these are like the proteins and the carbohydrates and the sugars that we sink ourselves into. So let's meditate, let's feed on this. Wisdom from God. What does that actually mean? Well, wisdom is a huge theme throughout the Bible. It's all over the place, wisdom. And it can have a lot of different meanings depending on where it's used and how it's used when. So we have to look at the context around how it's and where it's used to see what it actually means. And so chapter 1 and 2, they say a lot about wisdom. If you were paying attention when we read chapter 1 early, it talked about wisdom a lot. So um, how, what is he talking about in here in chapter 1 on wisdom? And, and I'll summarize by saying that here Paul is contrasting worldly wisdom with spiritual wisdom. Worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. And he says worldly wisdom is, is about sophisticated speech and intellectual knowledge and ultimately it's about power. Look at, verse two, uh, look at chapter 2 if you have your Bible. Look at 2 verse 6. And it says here, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So what he's saying here is that there is a worldly wisdom, but there's also this wisdom from God. This wisdom from God. And he's saying that often this worldly wisdom appears really strong. It, it, it seems like it has the upper hand on what's going on. And the, and the wisdom of God, it looks weak. It looks fragile. It doesn't look strong. But it's actually, that's where real truth is. That's where real wisdom is. That's where the actual weight of truth is. It's like the difference between a, a sheet of graphite, which looks really strong, but as soon as you tap it with a hammer, it shatters into a thousand pieces. That's what worldly wisdom looks like. But godly wisdom is like a sheet of carbon fiber. It's flexible. It looks like you could just tear it, but boy, you try to tear it, it's a lot stronger than what it, than what it looks like. So what does it mean then when it says Christ became for us wisdom from God? It means this. It means that when you feel powerless, when you feel foolish, when you feel weak because of your union with Christ, that is when you are at your strongest. That's when you're at your strongest. When you feel that gap. When you feel foolish for being a Christian. Remember that you, being united with Christ, you have, a, you have insight into the whole plan of God for salvation. You can, you can say, oh my gosh, yes, at this moment it feels foolish, but I know and I believe that what God is doing is bigger than anything that this world can understand. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. By God's grace, we understand his plan for salvation. We have insight into what God is doing to redeem the world. That is true wisdom. That is far greater than any amount of intellectual knowledge or sophisticated speech or power. We have insight into what God is doing in our world. But that's not the only word picture he gives us. He gives us another word picture. He says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us righteousness. Righteousness. Now what does that mean? What's that word picture? Now this word picture, this is the word picture that lit the flame of the Protestant Reformation, if you're familiar with it. In the 16th century, Martin Luther, who was a, a German monk, a great reformer, he saw that, that righteousness is through faith alone that we're united to Christ and therefore we are declared righteous. 
Now, righteous, that is, that is legal language. It's a, it's a word that, that is used in legal terms to, to talk about guilt and the removal of guilt. And behind this word is guilt. The idea that we are all guilty of sin. Psalm 53 tells us that all humans are guilty by sin and thus corrupted by that guilt. That we are not just creatures who sin, but we are actually sinners. It's a part of who we are. And and as a result, we deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve God's condemnation. But then what does verse 30 tell us? It tells us that Jesus became for us, what? Righteousness. He became for us righteousness. And 2 Corinthians, the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he tells us how this works. In chapter 5 it says, For our sake He, that is God, made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him, there it is again, that in Christ, in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Do you see what's happening here? By God's mercy, we become united with Christ and His righteousness becomes ours and our guilt becomes Christ's. It's this glorious exchange that happens so that when it happens, God issues an eternal not guilty verdict on your and my behalf. Though we were guilty, we are vindicated. We are declared righteous. Now, how does that actually affect you and me on our day-to-day basis when we feel that gap between what we believe and what we experience? This is a really important word picture for when you feel the shame and the guilt of your sin. And it's this, that if you believe in Jesus, you are so united by Jesus to Jesus by your faith that, that sin has no power. No, sin has... It, it, you, you are not guilty. You're not guilty of sin through faith. And this frees us from downward spirals into shame and self-hatred and feeling the weight of our own. It empowers us to run into God's fatherly arms and say, Father, I've messed up again. Forgive me. And then it empowers us to go become more obedient. There is no weight. There is no guilt of sin because of your union with Christ. That's not all he gives us. He gives us another word picture. What does he say? He says, and sanctification. Because of him, we have sanctification. Now, what does this mean? Well, if justification is freedom from the guilt of sin, sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. It's that Jesus became to us the power to holiness. The power to actually change. The power to become more pure, more godly. So that our daily actions and our daily lifestyle can actually change. 1 Corinthians 6 describes it this way. In chapter 6 he tells us that there's all these wicked and sinful people. And he says, and you were once some of them. You were once among them and you can't inherit the kingdom. But then he says in verse 11, he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear it? There it is again. In Christ, something actually happens. You were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. 
Christ became for us sanctification means. It means that it is possible for you and for me in our daily lives to live increasingly obedient and holy lives. To actually follow God's law more. And this is what's amazing. It's not that God just saves us and then leaves us and says, okay, you're saved, now try and make yourself better. It's that God saves us and then says, and I'm going to help you become a better Christian. Our increased obedience is possible through our union with Christ. And remember what I said in the introduction when I talked about how many of you feel that there's this habit that you just can't kick This behavior that you just can't stop doing. Well, sanctification through Jesus Christ means that you can. You can actually change. Not based on what you've done, but based on what Christ has done for you. That you can stop sinning in particular ways. You can grow in holiness. And this will never be perfect, but we can actually change. We're not condemned to just wallow in, in our brokenness, but we can grow in holiness and purity. That's good news, especially if you're married. <laughs> you're, not this, you're not a person who's going to harm your spouse long term forever, that you can actually change. I was training for a marathon earlier this summer. Marathons are about 26 miles, and uh, I was training for it, and I, and I knew that I just couldn't go out and run 26 miles. It's not going to happen. You've got to actually practice. You've got to run and train for it. And I remember I was training. Each week, I would try to add about 10% more mileage to my, to my long runs and, uh, and, and to my weekly mileage. And so each week, you know, you'd feel like, I'm not getting any better. Each week, it just feels like, ugh. Maybe I'm a little better, but then you'll have that bad run that sets you back, and you're just like, what is going on? I'm not actually getting anywhere. I'm not getting any stronger. And the difference between run one run and the next felt so small that you're just wondering, like, am I actually getting to be a better runner? And then one day I woke up and I ran 26 miles, and I couldn't do it three months earlier. That's how sanctification works. Day in, day out, it feels like nothing's happening. It feels like, man, I'm just fighting the same things. You look forward, you look back a week, and you're like, I haven't changed at all. But then you look back over a lifetime, and you say, oh my gosh, through practice, through the help of the Holy Spirit, through joining with the community of believers, I'm actually growing. I'm actually changing my lifestyle. Not by anything that I do, but by God at work in me. Because of your union with Christ, you are not stuck in sin until Jesus comes back. Praise God that you can actually change. He gives us one more word picture here. He gives us one word picture, one more picture, and that's redemption. And this is the word picture of to buy back. That's what redeem means. It means to buy back. And so the image here is of a slave who's in, in chains. They're enslaved. They're oppressed. And they're living a life of servitude. And that's what we were. Romans 6 tells us that we sold ourselves into slavery. It's not that we were... We, we, it, we, we brought it on ourselves. We didn't just go along and somebody come and all the tackle us and bring us into slavery. No, we sold ourselves into slavery. For Ephesians 1 and Romans 3 and Colossians all describe it this way. And they describe it... They describe the redemption through Jesus' blood. The redemption that is Jesus' blood is the 
payment that buys us out of our slavery, redeems us out of our slavery to make us daughters and sons of God. Ephesians 1 tells us that in Him, there it is again, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So picture in your mind here, picture a slave who deserves their slavery. And that's a, that's a complicated idea for us living in America where we think about slavery as black chattel slavery and... Um, you know, that, that's clearly slavery that they did not deserve, that the African-American community did not deserve, but they were forced into it. But here, here is a slave, here we are slaves and we deserve it. We deserve our enslavement, and yet here we are also oppressed by sin, incapable of getting the shackles of sin off of ourselves. We deserved it, and yet Jesus' blood, he buys us out of it. The king of creation who owes everything comes, gives his blood as the payment for our sin and redeems us. And not only does he redeem us, but he's redeeming all of creation. He's redeeming all of the oppression in the world around us. And that's good news. Because how many times this week have you looked around your world personally, locally, regionally, nationally, and felt the oppression of sin? The enslavement of our world to sin. I do many times. I look in my week and I see, man, you see school shootings, Christian persecution, politicians who are not just conflict in our marriage and work. All of these things, it's the oppression of sin. We live in a world that is oppressed, weighed down, afflicted by sin. And what does this tell us? It tells us that Christ is our redemption. He buys us out of the oppression of sin. He is in the process of freeing us from the oppression of sin. So remember that this week. When you feel overwhelmed in that moment, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this world? That through Christ you are united with Him who became for us redemption from the oppression of sin. So if this is true... If this is true that we've been united with Christ and we have all the benefits which are Christ, that is wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, what is to be our response? What is to be our response as the people of God? Well, Paul tells us in verse 31. Look with me at verse 31. He says, So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The core of this verse, the core of this verse says, you are in Christ Jesus so that let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are united with Christ so that we can glorify Christ. We are united with Christ so that we can glorify Christ. That should be our response. Glorifying, boasting in, praising God for what he has done for us. So what does that mean to our lives? How are we to actually do that? Well, first, it means that we can't boast in ourselves. There's no way that we can boast in ourselves. Remember, this union with Christ, this salvation comes only from God, exclusively from God. The Father planned our salvation. The Son, He accomplishes it through His death. The Spirit applies Jesus' blood to us. It's God's deal from beginning to end. We didn't bring anything into it except our brokenness, except our sin. Therefore, there's no warrant for us to boast. 
But actually, I find that I often find little ways, little insidious ways that I'm, I'm trying to boast, trying to prove, trying to even prove to myself that I'm okay. We all have ways that we try to show our own wisdom, to justify or make ourselves righteous, to change ourselves. Maybe we try to get wisdom through more degrees or by reading more books. Maybe we try to justify or declare ourselves righteous by how hard we work for our family. Maybe we're trying to fix our anger problem or our addiction by just trying harder, by more willpower. Maybe we're trying to redeem or buy ourselves back by just, if I can just love my spouse a little bit more. And each of these, each of these are ultimately attempts to save ourselves, and each of these are ultimately little subtle ways that we're trying to boast in ourselves, make ourselves okay, declare ourselves righteous. And apart, they're, they're boasting in ourselves, and apart from Christ, they'll never work. They always fall flat, they never satisfy. We're all trying to do this. So I ask you, where are the ways that you are trying to wisen or justify or sanctify or redeem yourself? Where are you trying to do that in your own life? Give those up. Give those up because they'll never succeed. And accept by faith the righteousness of God. But second, not only can we not boast in ourselves, we have to boast in God. We are called to deep, sustained, and joyful praise for what God has done in our lives, for His salvation. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we, a great way is by singing. We sing about it. We do it through fellowship with the body of God. We exhort each other, look what God has done in my life. Look what God has done in your life. Look what God is doing in our community. We do this through our obedience. We become, as we become more and more godly in our lives, we're boasting about what God has done in our lives. What would it look like if your whole life rotated around boasting what God has done in your life? And that's why we need to study these word pictures. We need to apply them and reappropriate them to ourselves. We need to feed on the nutrients that are in these. And just as you wouldn't deny yourself the food for your body, don't deny yourself these spiritual nutrients because as you feed on these, you will be more able to boast in what God has done for you. And what do you know what happens when that begins to happen? You begin to merge this gap between what you experience and what you believe. And we become a more joyful, praising, boasting, godly people. But I think there's also a hidden application in this. There's a hidden application in this, and it's this, that we have to share the hope and the joy of union with Christ with those in our world. Look at 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. So what does it see here? That Paul, he, as he begins to understand his union with Christ, he, is, he, he can't not go out and tell his community and his world about it. 
There's, this, there's an implicit application in here that if we are actually be, being the redeemed and changed people of God, we have to go into our community and tell them about what ha- God has done for us. We can't just sit on it. We have to go out and be a people who say, look what God has done in my life. Look what God has done in my marriage. Look what God has done in our community. Join us as we explore and meditate and feed on God's grace and God's redemption. If union with Christ is the best news in the history of the universe, if it's the best news of what we've all been searching for, how can we not be a people who share that with those around us? If we have total vindication from guilt, if we have insight into God's plan for our salvation, if we can actually change who we are day by day, if we are part of God's liberation from the oppression of sin, we should be a people who go, look what God has done in our world. If this is true, we have to be a people who boast to others about God's love. So we see here today, we see the majesty of our union with Christ. And we see what it actually means that we get Christ's benefits. We get wisdom of God. We get justification or righteousness. We get sanctification that we can change. And we get freedom from the oppression of sin. And that God meets us in the gap. God meets us in the gap through our union with Christ. It gives us the ability to boast in God and what He's done and boast to each other and boast to our friends and community about what has God. May we be a people who feed on this, boast to each other, and boast to our community. Please pray with me. Father, and God, Father God, Spirit, Son, we thank you for our union with Christ. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you that we are a people who have been bought by Christ's blood, that you have declared us righteous, that we can change through your Spirit, and that we can be a people who praise you and, pr- and tell others in our community around it. May we be a people who are changed into a more joyful, praising, boastful community, both within and without. Do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.